Tanya for the 13th of Tammuz, but first the story. A man once came to Rabzusha of Anapoli, while Rabzusha of Anapoli was in his garden. And he told Rabzusha of Anapoli like this. He said people had, had attacked him. They had grabbed his long coat away from him, his kapata away from him. And they had told him, they accused him of doing a really horrible sin. And they said that unless he gets a letter from Rabzusha of Anapoli saying that he's innocent, they're not giving him back his coat. And so he told Rabzusha, I need you to give me a letter that says I'm innocent. Rabzusha said, I don't, how do I know you're innocent? So he says, what's the difference? The point is, what they did was not right. They shouldn't have given me my, they shouldn't have taken my kapata like that. And they're not going to give it back until I get a letter from you. I need you to sign the letter. And Rabzusha said, I can't write something that isn't actually true. I don't know if you're, if you're actually innocent of it. And the man got very frustrated. He said, you know, if I were to go to the nearby priests, he would write the letter with me with no problem. Now Zusha was so overwhelmed by this statement, but more so than the statement, more than the statement, he was so overwhelmed that he was the cause of someone saying something like this that he began to tremble and he began to say, well, "This is so horrible that I've caused someone to talk in such a way." And he began trembling to such a degree that he fell backwards and he fell into the the nearby drainage canal and. Meanwhile, people heard all this, all the commotion. The neighbors heard all the commotion. They came rushing. They dragged him out. They changed his clothes. And this man who had caused all the commotion quietly, you know, he stayed. He, he quietly moved away and went to go hide in a in a section of the garden where no one could see him. And he watched the whole commotion. And the whole time, it was Zusha kept on repeating, "I can't believe that I'm the cause of someone saying something so dreadful." And like what type of person he was evaluating himself based on the fact or based on the reaction that that caused this man to talk in such a way. Meanwhile, the everyone you know the Rizusha was uh, changed in clothes and he was he was he was fine and everyone left and this man started feeling really bad. He started realizing maybe maybe I really do need to correct my ways. You know the way I've been behaving is not right and you know he he started actually having a. a a commitment in his heart to actually make it make his turn his life around. He's so impacted by Rabzusha's reaction that uh, the way he behaved. So when everyone had left, he he crawls back into Rabzusha's room and tells Rabzusha, "I want to do to help me to help me repent." So Rabzusha said, "You you you just want to get your kapata back." He said, "No no no, this time I mean it. I I don't care whether I get my kapata back or not. I want to change my life around. How do I do it?" So Rabzusha told him, "How about both of us do shuvah together?" And so they both sat on the floor and Rizusha began crying and this man joined in crying and this man turned his life around. It's a beautiful story. The Tanya so far is giving us a clinical, you know, almost a cold and distance approach of what is repentance, what is shiva. Very clinical, very halachic in nature. Don't worry, as the Tanya continues going through this, the Tanya's going to start talking about in the spiritual, you know, um, the... The, the wonderful part of Shuvah, you know, the, what's going on behind the scenes, how much God extends towards us in order to give us the, the ability to repent and what really happens when we repent. We're going to get there. But right now, we're just dealing clinically. What is Shuvah? What isn't Shuvah? Is fasting to Shuvah? Like yesterday, Tanya made it abundantly clear. Fasting is not repentance. Fasting has nothing to do with repentance. It might put you in the mood, possibly. But it has nothing essentially to do with repentance. It has to do with 
telling God a commitment. I regret doing this and I won't do it again. I'm sorry for rebelling against you and I will accept upon myself to do all the mitzvahs and I keep away from all the, the sins. That's what tshuva is essentially. Those three things alone. Or halachically speaking, it's just removing yourself away from the sin. But the Al-Tribe adds on more. He says, no, there's a three-step process in tshuva, if you want to get technical. And now the Al-Tribe is going to talk about, well, hold up. There are sources that talk about fasting being a, being a part of repentance. You can't really ignore when you have so many sources. So the Al-Tribe is going to, in chapter two, which is the, today's um, chapter, we're going to go through the whole chapter today, the Al-Tribe goes through and says, well, Yes, fasting is does have something to do with um, repentance, but the truth of the matter is, Dalton is going to prove fasting isn't repentance, not in the slightest, and not at all. But it has something to do with 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 repentance, and that's why people confuse and I think, well, fasting is repentance. One quick note before we begin, and that is a famous Gemara. In the Gemara, the Rava, who's a famous rabbi, asks the question. He says the it says like this. It says in the Pasuk in Kehelis, it says in, in uh, King Solomon wrote, the sacrifice of a sinner of the wicked people is an abomination to God. Someone that, uh, that's a sinner and brings a sacrifice and says, well, God, here's my gift for you. You know, now we're even. That's a disgusting abomination, but God hates it. So the question is, well, hold up. We, we, bring, we bring sacrifices for a, for a sin. If a pup, and at the same time, we also know that a person that had, that did that didn't do a, a positive mitzvah, they forgot to do, or they didn't do tefillin, or they didn't do mayrev. The second they say, God, I'm sorry, they're forgiven straight away. So why are people bringing sacrifices? Says Ravi in the Gemara, it's a gift. It has nothing to do with, now I'm adding my own words, but he says that it has nothing to do with actual repentance. Repentance is a separate thing. A, a person brings a sacrifice as a gift to God. And that's what the beginning part of today's time is going to be talking about. With that introduction, let's begin. That all of this is referring to actual repentance. When a person sits down and says, God, I am sorry. God, I'm committing to ever do this again. I accept you as my king. And I'm going to keep the mitzvah from now on. That is 100% forgiveness. There's not, that's it. Their book is wiped clean of any form of sin. They're not going to be punished for it. They're not going to be even brought up in the court case when they come to Shemaim. It's done. They did Shiva. But there's still something that remains. For a person to have repentance to the process of Teshuvah, that's all they need to do. For a person to have their status exactly the same, um, like before they did the sin, well, they did it. Yes, they're forgiven. The king said, uh, "God said you're good." Well, don't worry. I'm not. I'm not going to. I'm not going to punish you for it. You, you, you've, you've done repentance. We, we have a clean slate. But he still did it. The king, the Hashem, is still not pleased that the person did it. That activity happened in history. History hasn't been rewritten. So. Is he getting a punished? No, he did shiver. So what, in order to get a person back to the original status where the person, you know, it's like the person never did it, well, then he needs to give a gift. The fasting or the korban 
in the base time during the times of the base when a person would bring a carbon, it wasn't to to do to do to shuva. Shuva needs shuva. If a person did a sin against God, they need to say, oh, God, I'm sorry, that's just shuva. Now you want to make yourself on good terms with God. Okay, now bring a carbon on top of that. Adam, and the is a great fantastic example. Oh, should we, uh, you know what? Let, let's explain. Let's say, for example, a person slaps the king across, across the face. The king furious. How dare you hurt me? And the man says, you know what? I had a moment. I have no idea what's wrong with me. I can't believe I did this. I will never, ever mistreat you again. I'm so sorry. Do you forgive me? And the king says, you know what? I forgive you. The king still doesn't like this guy. The guy slapped him across the face. He's a king. This man is a commoner. How dare he do it? I forgive him. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna punish him. Nothing. I won't do I won't withhold anything from him. He's same, you know, he's not in trouble. But the king doesn't like the guy. But so what did the guy down do? He goes and brings a gift to God. Even though he sent people in advance to tell the king he's really sorry, the king's okay, I forgive him. Now, when he's ready to go see the king, he brings a gift. Why? Because he wants his relationship to be back where it was. And, and getting forgiveness, that's wonderful, but it's not going to re repair the relationship. Therefore, he gives the gift. And that gift puts it back to where his relationship used to be. From the, from the um, talking about bringing a carbon, we see that the carbon itself is not actually what brings atonement, but it actually just brings gratification to God. A person did a sin, they did show for that sin. They say, God, I'm really sorry. And they go through the halakhic process of repentance. But they say, well, I hurt God. I need to do something to, to not just um, not get punished, but also just to even the score and to say, God, I let's let's have a relationship like it used to before I messed up and did a sin. Oh, now that person brings a carbon. And that brings acceptability, let's call it, between that person and God. That's point number one. Point number two of There was a famous rabbi, and the rabbi the rabbi talked about bringing a carbon, and, and and talked about bringing a carbon, and talked about the fact that nowadays we're not able to bring a carbon. So what can we do? There were places that you know gratitude, not gratitude, but acceptance for God after we after we do a sin or. In, just in general, getting getting the acceptance that uh, the sacrifices used to bring. In the case of a sin, it's to bring the status quo back. So he said, you know what? I'll fast, and that the blood and the fat that I I'm lacking that should be as if I'm placing that fat blood and flat a uh, fat on the mizbeach on the altar. So we see that fasting is able to replace this that sacrifices were able to do. And based on this premise. You see so many rabbis, the Mishnahic rabbis and the Gemara rabbis, they saw even on tiny things, they would do incredible amounts of fasting. This is a dramatic story. It's a little halakhic in nature, but basically, wearing jewelry on Shabbos is technically permissible for women to do because they're not going to take it off. And the question is, what about a cow wearing a, a, a strap that's like an adornment between the horns? Rabbi Elozim and Isaiah said it's like jewelry and therefore 
that you don't, you know, you, you can let your cow wear the strap. And the rabbi said, it's not like jewelry. You need to take it. You need to take it off before Shabbos. You can't let your cow walk around in a public domain with the strap still connected. The halachas, obviously, like the rabbis, but where Lozman as I believe it was permissible. He once saw his neighbor doing it, and he said, well, it's permissible. I'm allowed to do it. He, he's allowed to do it. I'm not going to say anything. Afterwards, he realized he should have said something because the rabbis don't agree with him and that, you know, he should have followed like the opinion of the rabbis. And so he fasted so much and his teeth became black from his fasting. He fasted. Obviously, he did repentance, but the fasting was in order to, you know, appease a God and make the relationship go back to the way, even though it was a tiny sin. He did it. He said, I'm ashamed of your words, Beishamah. He was having an argument. He was in Beishamah a lot. Beishamah was arguing with him, the different, you know, the different academy. And he was, he was embarrassed by their words. He said, I'm embarrassed by your words, which was talking a little, a tiny bit disrespectful to them. So Hush Krishna and the same thing happened. He fasted to such a degree that his Teeth became black. Avuna once his strap of its film went from the black side to the white side, and he fasted 40 times for the fact that his film flipped over. And there are many other incidences like this. So the, we see in the Gemara, Rab, great rabbis fasting, exceptional amount of fast, all based on tiny sins. And Arizal taught to his um, students who were great, great Kabbalists. The, the, the Rebbe has an incredible sikh on, 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 on this, why, why the Alphabet adds in the Arizal to his students and mentions are based on principles of Kabbalah. Fantastic sikh. But the point is that Arizal teaches Kabbalistically speaking, when a person does a particular sin, the different types of fasting they do. You can't ignore that. That's a real, it's a real reality. So that Arizal prescribes Fasting for sins. Says Al-Trevin, no. He prescribes fasting after the person has done repentance for the sin. Then in order to make appeasement to God, to bring the relationship back up to par, then the Arizal says, okay, these are the fasts you need to do. And so the Al-Trevin is going to read them in. So, um, for example, a person gets angry. You do 151. Really interesting. Anger, kaas, is 150. If you add the word, Plus one, you know, including the word cast, that's 151. It's an easy way to remember how many fasts are. If a person drinks um, wine that's forbidden, a rabbinical, to, um, um, a rabbinical decree to drink, not to drink wine of non Jewish of non Jewish people, that person fasts 73 fasts. Yayin is the gematria of 70 plus 3, 73. Very interesting. So a person, for example, forgets to daven, one of the davenings, he should fast 61 fasts. The word ani, which is, means I, is malchus. Malchus represents um, um, tefillah. Davening, as we're going to say later on, and so you see the word ani is sixty-one. Person that misses the davening one time um, has to fast sixty-one times. So there, klal soy natanis yisugula nifla nifla leiskalas rachin helim barachol. Okay, so that, that's actually the end of the point. There's a new point. So what what do we see? We see that the premise of fasting it exists. It's not. It is connected to shiva, but it's not to actually bring a person to actual repentance. It's to bring a gift to God to make the status quo equal once a person cleaned his slate and said, God, I'm sorry, I commit never to get angry again, whatever it is, whatever particular thing you did. Now, but there, Klaus, so you that Tanya is Gulan Niflas is Kalatos now in your A fourth point of what the connection between fasting and um, to repentance has that it's, it draws down the will of God. 
Like we see with the sacrifices, it brings down a, the will of God. It's, it, it brings incredible uh, um, joy to God. Do we call this a fast and a desirable day for God? Fasting is considered a desirable day for God. So the fourth reason why, um, what the connection between repentance and fasting is, that repentance, that fasting, for whatever reason it is, is extremely desirable to God and draws down the desire, the, the will of God. The will of God is very powerful. It's higher than even the, the level of sin. The level of will of God is never impacted by a sin. We might impact, as we're going to say many earlier, um, later on, Kabbalistically speaking, the name Yudke Vavke, God's four-letter name, when we do a sin. But the will of God is never, is never impacted. When we fast, we draw down that energy. And that's what we want to draw. But it's not a replacement for repentance. So in four, in, in four reasons, in inclusion of today's Tanya, four reasons how we see that the accomplishment of fasting. Number one, it as we mentioned yesterday, it averts public decrees. If the public decrees are for the future on the Jewish people, we fast in order to avert them. Number two, it assists the tshuva process. If a person wants to get himself in the mood, in the in the zone, to be more tshuva oriented, not to replace tshuva itself, but to be more in the zone for tshuva, he might want to fast to kind of put himself in the mood to give himself love or to give himself, you know, the re- reflectiveness that fasting brings. Third, that we mentioned today, Tanya, is that it's a gift. After you've done the tshuva, to make the to make the make yourself equal with God, you know, to kind of like, you know, appease God after you've done something wrong, you've cleaned the slate, but now you kind of want to make it back to the same um, happy, joyous relationship. You, you give God a gift of fasting. And the fourth one is, by fasting, we draw down the will of God, a level which has never been impacted by our actual sin. But the summary of all four of these is fasting is not repentance. It does other things related to repentance, but it is not repentance itself. Thank you so much for joining the Tanya and Tanya. Thank you so much for joining the Tanya and Tanya. Thank you so much for joining